Hello, I'm Nikki Chadwick. What exactly is the circular economy and how can it make a massive contribution to saving our natural assets, minimising waste and pollution and to tackling global challenges such as climate change and biodiversity loss? That's what we're going to find out. The circular economy is a different way of thinking about how we produce and consume, using resources more efficiently by using them more than once. In this episode, we're going to look at renewable energy, its benefits, environmental impacts, and how each of us can take advantage of the latest technology to reduce our energy bills and make our own contribution to the circular economy. Joining me now is Rana Adib, Executive Director at the Renewable Energy Policy Network for the 21st Century, or REN21. Rana is an industrial engineer who has worked in research and development, industry, international organisations and NGOs at the crossroads of technology, business, marketing and policy. Rana, thank you very much for joining us. How important is renewable energy for the circular economy? Thank you very much, Nikki. Very glad to be with you here. Working at Renting One, which is a community of players specifically looking uh, to accelerating the shift to renewable energy, the deployment of renewable energy. Renewables is obviously at the heart of my work and, uh, and my activities and also my convictions. Renewable energy is uh, so important for any um, economic, industrial and also societal activities. Today, we depend mainly on fossil fuels, so on oil, gas, and coal, and nuclear to some extent. And this fossil fuel, which we're consuming, is responsible to 75% for the CO2 emissions and contributing to climate change. But not only, it's also um, creating a source of pollution. It is creating, as we currently see, geopolitical tension. It is undermining or underlying certain power dynamics. And uh, the interesting part about it is that renewable energy offers a real alternative. Is renewable energy truly clean and efficient when you compare with traditional fuels? The reality is energy technology, any infrastructure does have an impact. It has an economic impact. It has environmental impacts. It has social impacts. That is something which is very clear. And I think it's clear when we're looking into technologies, infrastructure. Um, when we're comparing, however, obviously renewable energy compared to fossil fuel, it is clear that, um, that in terms of CO2 emissions, it has a much better uh, carbon footprint than, uh, than fossil fuel. So I think it's, uh, it's reducing the CO2 emissions. When we are looking into the governance part, so the social parts, um, we clearly see that renewable energy, renewable energy exists everywhere. So. Everywhere you have the sun, you have, uh, you have the wind, you have water, uh, you have waste, which you can use to produce, uh, to produce heat uh, or fuels. And uh, this really allows to have an interesting approach, which is much more decentralized, much more local. And as a result, can also allow for a larger variety of players to benefit basically from uh, the renewable source and the economic generated. The reality is that uh, those sources require technologies to be placed and it requires uh, the development of grids. We need to have a sustainability approach also on renewable energies and uh, the infrastructure which is required. 
So we're not in a situation where we have like a zero impact and there is no technology that has zero impact. But if you compare it to fossil fuel, uh, renewable energy and efficiency is very clearly the way to go. We're looking into the transition to a circular economy. So how important is the renewable energy model for the circular economy? There is a possibility of developing renewable energy really at the heart of this. So I take the example of uh, municipal waste, for instance, um, or industrial waste. This can become a resource to produce energy. So here we are really in a typical and in a fundamental circular economy context of, okay, there's a waste, there's resource, and we reuse it to produce something different. So um, we see many cities, for instance, uh, starting to work on those approaches or already. So uh, the city of Malmö, for instance, is using the waste uh, of the city, but also the region to produce electricity and heat. When we're looking into other other sources, waste can, for instance, also produce biogas. And biogas produced from waste is really interesting because it can be used in industrial processes. It can be used to produce heat and electricity. But it can also be used, uh, for instance, in natural gas vehicles, uh, buses, etc. And what is interesting here is that uh, also the local air pollution is actually lower when we're using those solutions. So um, this is a typical classical circular economy context. On the other hand, when we're looking into, let's say, um, solar PV and wind, um, it is not always that these are at the heart of circular economy, but they become integrated in circular economy concepts because they allow to really use a local source, uh, sun, the local wind resources, water resources to produce a local energy. So um, here we really have a circular economy because uh, you have like a natural resource being used to produce and being transformed into electricity, heat, or also fuels. Where we have lots of a circular economy approach, I guess, today at least, and it's something which is being developed more and more also by the industry, is the technologies which are required to transform those local resources into a local uh, electricity or local heat. So here today, it's very clear that, we, uh, that we're relying on solar modules, solar PV modules, um, solar water heaters, wind turbines, etc., that are not always produced uh, locally and in a circular economy concept. What is interesting here, however, and I think uh, with the current geopolitical situation, we're discussing a lot about energy sovereignty. And as a result, also about and technology sovereignty. So where is the material being produced? Can we produce it locally to use it locally? And what about your customers? Is there a lot that needs to be done to shift their attitude further towards renewable energy? We recently had, a, had an event on renewable-based uh, transportation. And uh, so in electric vehicles. There, there are, for instance, studies where um, electric vehicle users could choose whether they were going to charge their electric vehicle with dirty electricity or clean electricity, which was renewable electricity. And uh, those users always choose the clean electricity. So I think this, is, uh, this already shows that there is an increasing awareness and um, also... Uh, that the users and the customer will move into that direction. The challenging part, however, is that currently the policy and regulatory frameworks do not always uh, create a level playing field. So 
which means fossil fuel continue to be highly subsidized by governments. And as a result, even though renewable energy might be a cheaper solution in terms of cost and also for the end users, would need to pay more for moving to renewable energy. So yes, there is a need to convince customers very clearly. But on the other hand, um, the key lever here is creating the right policy and regulated frameworks. And this comes down to the national governments and also to the municipal and regional governments because they can clearly create the conditions in the market that allow for renewable energy to thrive, but also help to convince um, citizens to support this part. Now, admittedly, and I think in the circular economy discussion, it's something which is really important. When we're speaking about a transition to renewables, we're not only speaking about a technology transition, we need to ensure market acceptance, we need to ensure political acceptance and societal acceptance. What is important here is good information, raising the awareness, but also creating the initiatives and supports by the government for um, the citizens to really embrace basically this transition and become part of it. Because what is interesting about renewables, we are speaking about a very decentralized energy, which also means like citizens can become owner, they can, be, can become producer of energy, and they can actually generate economic benefit from it. Rana, thank you very much indeed. Joining me now is Wolfgang Grundinger, Chief Evangelist of NPAL GmbH, a photovoltaics leasing firm that provides solar power systems. Its product already enables customers to reduce their electricity expenditure through a solar system and a green all-inclusive energy solution, providing the service of renting the solar systems. So Wolfgang, thank you very much for talking to us today. So can you tell me a bit about how your company works. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, first of all. Um, so the idea behind NPAL is that solar energy so far was often too complicated for people. In Germany alone, just to give an example, um, nine of 10 one or two family homes don't have a photovoltaic system yet. Although Germany is often portrayed as a leading nation um, when it comes to solar energy and renewables and climate protection. And this is not because people don't want solar energy at home um, or they don't see the need for it or that they can't afford it, um, but they don't know about solar energy yet. So they have never bought in their life a solar energy system. It's expensive after the house and the car. It's the third most expensive investment in their lifetime, probably. And they don't know so much about the future because um, once you have a solar energy system, you can't just sell it again like a car. So what happens in the next 10 years? Do we have to repair it? Which taxes do we have to pay? Which inverter do you need to replace? So what we decided is that we have to make it super easy for people to join in the energy revolution. So making solar energy easy. So what we did is the renting model. So zero investment costs up front. We build the solar panel for you and we guarantee you for 20 years that the solar energy system, including the storage battery, including the wall box for your e-vehicle, um, work perfectly, neatly, smoothly. And if something breaks or needs to be replaced, 
then we drop by and replace the, the broken module or replace uh, the storage battery that ran out of capacity, for instance. Um, so you have 20 years of carefree time. And after um, those 20 years, the, the solar panel and the entire system is being transferred into your property and you don't pay any rent anymore, but you own the system. So you can save lots of money over um, the long time. You are carefree and this is what people really liked. And with this model in place, we grew very, very fast into now the now number one fastest growing energy company across all Europe. And we are very happy and excited um, to further work on this, this path. And how does what you're doing contribute to the circular economy? Well, to understand the climate crisis, we have to know only two numbers, which is 50 and zero. 50, that is the number of gigatons of CO2 that humankind emits today. And zero, the second number, that is the number of gigatons we are allowed to emit in 28 years from now. So around the mid of the century. Otherwise, we will have a dangerous global warming or rather global heating. Um, and we cannot fulfill the goals of the Paris Agreement anymore. Hence, we need to shift our energy supply, saying goodbye to fossil fuels and expanding energy generation from sun and wind, which is renewable. It's never ending. And so it fits perfectly into the circular economy because with oil or with gas, you never will have a circular economy. It's not circular. It's finite. You burn it and then it's over. It's done. And do you think that your business model can actually increase at the rate that is needed to achieve, as you mm. say, the goals of the Paris Agreement, for instance? Yeah. The answer here is very simple. Yes, we can um, adapt at the scale required because we have to. The alternative would be a world with two or even three or more degrees Celsius hotter, which would put nature and humankind under enormous stress. Um, and yes, now our global greenhouse gas emissions are still on the rise and the growing demand for energy is too often still satisfied with fossil fuels. But there is the good news. Um, solar and wind power have matured technically and also become affordable over the past two decades. And what do you see are the barriers to scaling up um, renewable energy? There is a few barriers when it comes to expanding solar energy um, in Germany and in other countries as well. First of all, it's the lack of, of material because we, we receive all the material, like all the panels, all the storage batteries, all the inverters uh, from China. China is not only dominating the solar energy market when it comes to producing the panels, producing the silicon. It's not only dominating that market, it is the market. So. I think 90% or even more of the global PV modules market and silicon market is China. Um, and that is quite a bad thing. I mean, we love our suppliers. We have longstanding reliable partnerships with them. We can also track the material that we source to the actual mine. So we can also control the, the supply chain to the very beginning of it. But just, you know, just keep in mind that when there is one COVID case in one off harbors in China, the entire harbor city gets shut down. And, and that is just logistics wise. It's a nightmare. Um, maybe you remember that cargo ship that has been stuck in the Swiss canal 
our solar modules were on there. So just logistics wise, it's a nightmare to organize, to bring all the panels in time from China to Europe. And we are lacking an own solar energy industry in terms of manufacturing. So many of our competitors now even ran out of solar modules and waiting times are now a couple of months till even a year. The other issue at hand is, um, is the lack of skilled workforce. There is not enough installers, neither in Germany nor in other countries in Europe. We have an, a lack of blue color workers in general in Germany. And in particular, when it comes to installers and electricians who install and connect the solar energy system to the grid, they are just not enough. So what we did is that we um, built up an own NPAL Academy and training and qualifying now over 500 installers for our own installers firm, because otherwise we would not, we would just not have the, the installers who climb up on the roof and also connect the solar energy system to the grid. So those are the barriers in terms of supply of equipment and the people who are needed to install the equipment. But what about communications? What about encouraging people to sign up to what you're offering in the first place? This was quite hard in the beginning when um, the leasing model was not so popular yet. We call it um, low interest, high involvement. So people, they are interested per se in a solar energy system because it's not wrong. You can save money over the long run. Um, you protect the environment. You do something for your own energy independence. So it's a no brainer basically, but people, they don't care so much about which inverter should I take, which energy storage system should I take, whom to call if I want an energy system at home and so forth. Then the war changed everything. The demand just perhaps almost quadrupled since the beginning of the war. And that's very cynical. Um, we were telling people all the time, environmentalists, I. I have been an, a climate activist for half of my life. We have been telling people, you need solar energy, you need electromobility. And people didn't listen to us. And now as the war started, people now call us every day, thousands of, of calls and say, hey, um, I need a solar energy system now um, because energy prices are on the rise. Gas prices are on the rise. I want to become independent from fossil fuels now. And do you think you're going to be able to meet that demand? That's a challenge. I mean, I mean, we can, but it has to be an effort of the entire nation. We are just one player on the market. We are the biggest player now in terms of growth. We build more than 1000 solar energy systems per month, uh, which is really a, a large number for Germany, but we cannot do this alone. The government in Germany here wants to quadruple the capacity of photovoltaics installed within the next eight years. So we have now almost 60 gigawatts installed altogether. Now that took 20 years to do. And now we have eight years to build another 150 gigawatts. So that's, that's a large challenge. It's a large task. And that has, that is, that needs the, the effort of the entire nation of the entire country to reach the energy targets and to get independent from fossil fuels. Wolfgang, thank you very, very much indeed for talking to us. 
Joining me now is Gianluca Sambuccini, who is Economic Affairs Officer and Secretary of the UNEC Group of Experts on Renewable Energy in the Sustainable Energy Division. Gianluca, thank you very much indeed for joining us. We've heard from our guests how renewables are really at the heart of the transition to a circular economy and are powering the shift, but also that we still have a long way to go. What are your thoughts on what both Rana and Wolfgang had to say? It has been very interesting to hear uh, their intervention and also because they represent uh, essentially two types of experts and stakeholders that are working on renewable energy development. The executive director of the uh, REN21 is definitely trying to improve uh, uh, the uh, reliability of data and information that is available on uh, renewable energy. This is extremely important um, in order to understand the, the status of renewable energy development, to understand also the trends, and therefore read also what is behind uh, this data and the information. In fact, uh, the, all this uh, increase or decline of investments uh, in uh, our region is due to a number of problems. And having uh, the right information and the right data helps pretty much to uh, find a solution. And uh, the second speaker from Empal, uh, which is a, a photovoltaic uh, leasing firm uh, that provides solar power systems, gave us really a view from uh, the industry uh, perspective. And uh, this is extremely important because our role is mainly to help uh, governments to make sure that they can create a, a, a suitable environment for companies like this one really to uh, find uh, their own way for being successful. That means uh, really that the, the environment, which uh, whether it's uh, the institutional or the normative framework, uh, helping also to find uh, the way for getting investments and financing, this is the best way for innovation uh, passing from uh, the status of discovering and testing to a, a really a, com a commercial adventure. From your work at the United Nations on these issues, do you see growing political interest and will to scale up the use of renewables? Definitely, there is a, an increase in interest uh, on renewable energy. And for many years at the UNEC, we've been working uh, uh, in the last years uh, to improve data collection and information to strengthen the cooperation among countries and also to support uh, the policy advice in selected countries, especially in uh, Southeastern Europe, uh, in Central Asia and the Caucasus. Uh, renewable energy is already relevant to achieve uh, the development agenda, as we know, and also the commitment related to the Paris uh, Climate Agreement. Now it's even more relevant. The current situation post-COVID and the war in Ukraine has led to an increased uh, relevance of renewable energy in our region. And there are aspects of energy security that can be addressed by increasing the renewable energy uptake. And last but not least, the high contribution that uh, renewable energy can provide to the circular economy. And in fact, uh, through a renewable energy, a circular economy can contribute to maintaining natural capital by reducing the environmental uh, burden, uh, which results from the use of material uh, resources. And developing renewable energy 
can be definitely uh, considered a win-win solution to all these different aspects. In particular, we uh, help uh, some of the countries to improve uh, their legislative framework. We help also to launch a round of, of renewable energy auctions. We help uh, to look at the uh, also aspect of uh, a nexus between uh, water and energy, and in particular renewable energy. So basically, we tried really to respond to the immediate needs of the countries in, uh, in order to speed up any change that is needed in order to increase uh, the renewable energy uptake. You're talking about the needs that each individual country has, but what about encouraging them to reduce the amount of energy that we use in the first place? We are clearly talking about energy efficiency. And uh, it has been defined for many uh, decades uh, as uh, the low-hanging fruit. And definitely, um, so far, uh, countries, uh, but also individuals, private sector, didn't pay the sufficient uh, attention to uh, saving energy and therefore to the energy efficiency. It can be considered definitely also another clean energy source. We can have the same result or service that we want to achieve by consuming less energy independently from the source. So saving energy means, uh, again, to contribute to the development agenda, to the climate uh, uh, change mitigation, and therefore can support all the achievement uh, uh, and the objectives of the circular economy. Energy efficiency measures have the potential to deliver more than half the emission cuts needed and uh, therefore contributed really in a, in a very uh, concrete way to the decarbonization of the society. And UNEC is working at uh, the energy efficiency in all sectors and from different perspectives, including also in the construction or renovation of buildings. And what about the materials that are used in the production of renewable energy technologies like lithium, cobalt and, and copper? Estimates have suggested that current consumption of critical raw materials is going to double by 2060. How can we meet this demand while addressing the environmental, social and economic issues that come with extracting and managing the resources that we need if we are headed towards a circular economy. Securing a resilient, sustainable and ethical supply of this material for the transition to a net zero economy is high on the agenda in our region. And it's really imperative uh, for uh, finding also the technical and policy solution to the climate crisis uh, that we are uh, facing. Uh, we uh, can say that definitely uh, in, the, uh, in this area, the UNEC is uh, extremely committed. We have uh, a number of work uh, in this direction and has been involved now for many, many years in resource management and uh, uh, therefore UNEC tools uh, such as the existing United Nations Framework Classification for Resources, the UNFC, and also the uh, United Nations Resource Management System under development have their core uh, in the sustainable development uh, uh, that is needed for the society, for the environment, and for the economy. These tools help uh, countries to address complex issues such as meeting the demand for the uh, resource uh, uh, of uh, this material without putting under undue pressure on the environment. 
and therefore policy decisions, private investments can definitely benefit from the classification work of the UNEC. Gianluca, thank you very much indeed for joining us. You've been listening to One World Zero Waste, the circular economy explained. Please use the hashtag OneWorldZeroWaste to share your thoughts and look out for another episode shortly. Thank you for listening.